Hello, you are listening to True Crits, Season 1. We're far enough into this for you to realise we're talking about Steely Dan in very great detail. And for this episode, we have a, a reunite of Walter Becker and Donald Fagan coming together for 2000. The record is two against nature. I think we've both got some interesting opinions on this. I think we do. Such an interesting album. Up until about four hours ago, <laughs> I really didn't like it. But I think I actually like it now, John. I know I've said over the last few weeks that I actively don't like this album. I actually think I do now. Clicked with it at the last I minute. I have clicked with it at the last minute. It won, like, how many Grammys did it win? Four? Three, four? It won a few. It beat Kid A. <laughs> <laughs> which is funny yeah can you imagine that what tom york thought of that he would have been i'm surprised he didn't write a song about it he probably did <laughs> he probably did but i imagine it's even more abstract than steely dan's yeah lyrics yeah <laughs> lyrics. even more kind of cryptic and abstract I take umbrage with artists who have been around for a long time and who have a comeback inverted commas and what they produce is just really muted and sterile. And I find that overall with this album is where you've got Gaucho, which people describe Gaucho as being too clinical and too sterile and just audio perfection. And it takes away the magic. I love Gaucho. And then you have this album. It's like the fire has been taken away from them. I'm probably going to be lynched for saying this because remember when Blondie came back with Maria? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate that song. Yeah, shit. It's a really good pop song, but it's like every single thing about Blondie that was good about them is like their edge and their relevance and their innovation <clears throat> it was just completely watered down and you ended up with something that's just kind of, you know, M.O.R., bland, nothing, overproduced as well. I think Diana Ross did the same thing when she released a song in 99 called Not Over You Yet. And it was a big thing. And it was, oh, Diana Ross has got new music and given her legacy and her history. And then it was just this really insipid, ugh, meh, it was like nothing. And I feel that overall, the production of this album is just too much. It's too polished. It's too, we know what we're doing, almost like mechanical in some ways. But then there are still moments, I think, throughout it, which have surprised me. I actually feel the opposite to you about the production. <gasps> oh, God. I just love the sound of it. Do you? Yeah, it's really strong. It's really rich. You can hear everything. Everything has its own space, but it all knits together. I think comparing it to Gaucho, there's like a linear journey of their production. Okay. Um, and I think with Gaucho being the last analog production, they kind of got the most out of that medium mm. um, of recording to tape. The Nightfly is a step up in that sound. Mm. I would say Kamakiriad is overproduced mm. because it's definitely style over substance as we kind of realised as we tore it apart limb by limb <laughs> and they get the best out of recording all the good things you can get out of recording digitally 
I feel they do on this record. I think maybe that's where you and I might disagree on what makes a good sounding record because I prefer there to be some edge to things and some kind oh, yeah. of something to be rough around the edges. Yeah. When you go back and listen to their earlier recordings, there's just something missing from this album that throughout all of their previous productions. Well, Gary Katz isn't on this one. No, gone. For a start, he's gone, which is huge because he did everything before. Well, it was him this and album. Roger Nichols. Mm, yes. I think the main thing looking at the album as a whole, is they've changed the way that they write their songs. So even up to The Nightfly, their songs are composing. And we have like the grandiose composition of a song like Asia with all of its different parts. Yeah. We don't have that anymore. Mm. And I think that is something that's missing. We're suddenly into something which is more focused on feel. So it's like just establishing a groove and moving around in that. It just doesn't have the complexity. Mm. I think if it did have that complexity with the production, we'd just be both like, fucking hell, what a record. Yeah, yeah, maybe. What I did read, though, is that if you think about it's 2000, you've had the 90s and all of the cultural shift that happened in the 90s. Yeah. And I do wonder whether, so Don coined the term pseudo post irony. (laughs) Because you've had this sort of, you know, everyone was ironic in the 90s. Irony was the thing. And and it kind of spilled over into the noughties as well. Lance Morissette. Alanis Morissette, yeah, you've got like The Simpsons and that kind of humour. And I do wonder whether it was kind of almost like a radical act for them to just take this non-ironic stance now because everything was ironic for them and everything was, you know, very dry and their attitude was quite, you know, before its time, I think. And now they're in this situation, it's really modern. They obviously lost their... to coin a phrase from Walter, their nominal generational anger. They're older guys. They don't <laughs> yeah. have this kind of anger anymore. They've got nothing to prove anymore. No. So I almost wonder whether, did they really make this kind of conscious decision to be not ironic anymore and just produce this really glossy? Because it is, I find it an incredibly glossy album. Yeah. And not as sprawling as Asia. No. And yeah, like you say, this it's a much more kind of measured approach. But then there are moments in this album. It's, it's beautiful and amazing yeah. and it just so free. We'll get to that. We will get to that. So we open the record and I will say we need to just put a trigger warning on this one. There are a few songs. There's about three songs on this album which are potentially triggering yeah. for psychological abuse and sexual assault. Yeah. So as normal, they are not pulling any punches with their song subjects. This is absolute classic, Dan. Well, they're back as a writing team and they're back writing nasty lyrics about horrible situations. Yeah. And unfortunately, this is probably my favourite song on the whole album, this one. Gaslighting Abbey. Yeah, Gaslighting Abbey is my favourite song because if we ignore the lyrics which are brutal. It's like it's really cool funk soul, this one. Yeah, it opens beautifully. Solid groove to it. (laughs) 
find it really similar to Trans Island Skyway from Kamakuriad, the way it starts. That yeah, it has. Like yeah, it's got that kind of rolling groove. Yeah, definitely. I really like this song. And there's that amazing little bass breakdown in the middle of it. And then the <laughs> the little woodwind characterizations in the song as well. It just, yeah, it's great. It's such a brilliantly put together song. But we are back on form for the Dan. Yeah. We're Jolly song, but it's about a guy and a woman, I think, planning to gaslight his partner. Are they going to kill her? I don't know. I can't work it out. I kind of feel that Abby, the character Abby, Mm. is kind of well-to-do and they're kind of going to con her out of her money. That's what I feel. I feel like it's a kind of con job. I don't know, though. And they're planning to, like, drug her. And like play with her mind and it's going to take place like over the summer. And then as soon as the summer's over and they've done what they set out to do, mm. they're going to just disappear into the night. That's yeah. kind of what I feel. They've been working on her for a while though, haven't they? Because yeah. there's the line. That black mini looks just like the one like she's the been missing. So obviously she's wearing a dress. The the other woman is wearing a dress that Abby owned. Yeah. And Abby's lost her dress and she doesn't know where it is. And they've stolen the dress and she's now wearing it. There's like this underlying feeling of, okay, so he's doing it to Abby. Is he going to do it to this other woman as well? It's quite shocking. This coercion and gaslighting now is becoming much more understood as something that happens in abusive relationships. Yeah. And I actually found the lyrics of this quite shocking now in this kind of context because it's horrible. It's gleeful in the song. Like, we're going to do it. We're going to get it done. It's going to be great. There's going to be fireworks. We're going to have a great time watching this happen. I feel like the narrator may even be manipulating this new woman as well. I feel like he will probably do it again. Yeah. To her. Yeah, I think. This is his thing. This is what mm. he does. Like he gets women into this situation. Yeah. Leads them dry and then disappears. Yeah. He's a bit of a dick, isn't he? You know, we've seen this kind of character a few times in Steely Dan songs. Mm. Yeah. Just somebody with, you know, no remorse and just getting what they want from life with a severe lack of morality. One thing I have noticed about this album, though, is a marked difference. In some of the songs, there's like a new feeling of almost yearning for women, which hasn't been really explored before. And I wonder whether it was some of the softness that Donald had on The Nightfly that's crept into this album slightly, because there's a couple of songs on here which feel almost like yearning for a woman and... Not necessarily love. I don't necessarily feel like there are love songs on this album, but it feels as though there's been a slight shift in their storytelling about women. Quite a big shift, actually, because carrying on from Asia, this almost like a maturity of understanding about relationships between men and women, which is quite an interesting one. Obviously not this song. This is a new dimension that sits over this album. Yeah. Well, they would have been in their like early... 50s when they made this record Mm. so i would say that any man who gets to 50 that can't kind of relate to women and be soft i mean in an emotional way when talking about women Mm. then you're probably a bit of a fuck up (laughs) 
Yeah. You know, it's like 20 year gap between mm. this and what they were doing on Gaucho. Mm. So on this record, you can see in some songs, they show you both sides of the story. There's more of a balance. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why I quite like this album now is knowing that this is one of their last albums, as well as seeing the kind of the arcs of the stories and the events that they previously described, almost coming back full circle in yeah, this album. Yeah, 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 yeah. Returning yeah. to these ideas. Yeah. Can I just say before we jump, oh. the outro of Gaslighting Abbey is awesome. Yes. There's some nice kind of bits on this record where they're jamming. You yeah. can hear it as well. And they're obviously really enjoying themselves. Yeah. It's not too full on. It just befits the style of the record. Mm. Talking of returning to a theme. Yes. It's this, a shame when about I, me. Yeah. So we did actually mention this song billions of years ago in one of our earlier episodes because it's literally referring to my old school. It's amazing, isn't it? I know, from, from <laughs> Countdown to Ecstasy. The second time they've done it, obviously they did it with Gold Teeth. Yeah. Your Gold Teeth too. Yeah. But here we are coming back to this character from my old school. Yeah. Well, it's the Gentleman Loser guy. He's back. Yeah, he's back. He's back. He's here. And I got a little bit emotional picking apart this one because it's nostalgic and... Knowing, you know, this is like the penultimate Steely Dan album and this idea of them coming full circle, but as grown mature men, it's sort of made me a bit like, oh, you're all grown up. <laughs> <laughs> He's a bit of a loser, runs into his ex, who's a Hollywood star who's just come out of rehab. And she basically propositions him, doesn't she? Yeah. Wayne Robbins interview in Los Angeles Times where they actually reference this and Walter says we were trying to acknowledge our own position in all of this which I just I really love that like taking some kind of responsibility for for a character yeah and all of the music they've made and the stories they've told and the characters they've created and yeah and accepting this idea of them being cognizant of it all and I don't know I just really like it yeah it's a really great piece. Like the lyrics are awesome. Yeah. They really kind of paint the picture with my old school, like kind of reflecting back to that with this in mind. Mm. It's like my old school is so flippant. There's been some bad behavior and they talk about it and it's just like, well, it doesn't matter. Like I'm not going back there. So yeah. fuck it. Yeah. And then this is just like that character is just existing really. Mm hmm. Like he's hasn't done anything with his life. He kind of, there's a bit of self-pity about that. Yeah. So he's kind of, you know, yeah. What a shame about me. I never lived up to my own expectations of myself. But I don't know whether that is a shame about him or whether that's a shame about her. What a shame about me. 
I feel like I agree with what you're saying, and I think that's that's probably the most reasonable explanation. But I often wonder whether that's actually he feels bad for missing out on this woman. I don't know because he says. sounds like they're you know doing well for themselves barry is the software king maybe it's that whole thing there's a constant discussion especially around instagram where people only show like the good bits of their life Mm. so could it be because she has been to rehab Mm. and she's living one day at a time that although in his head he's got these things like everybody's doing well i'm just stacking books secondhand books at a bookstore he feels he hasn't succeeded in anything well you know we don't know we know about her yeah she's a film star yeah she's come out of rehab yeah and he described her as and the goddess on the fire escape was you (laughs) and now she's just rocked up to this guy who's not really achieved a great deal and asking him to hook up in the hotel room yeah and he turns her down turns her down he's like no babe no drama. The bank is closed. <laughs> it's an interesting like, one to pick apart. Yeah. He describes himself as a ghost. What does that mean? He's just like a ghost from her past, isn't he? Oh, yes. What a letdown. No, babe. You're talking to a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> it's very dramatic, isn't it? It is very dramatic. <laughs> I love it. It does paint quite a vivid picture. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. You're back on this vivid storytelling that they're so good at. So it's quite similar, I think, to Gaucho and Asia. But there are bits in this that I find really annoying. And this is why I wrote down the phrase insidious bongos. (laughs) I don't (laughs) like the percussion in this one. something really too deliberate about this particular song Mm. i just don't like everything to sound really polished and amazing and brilliant all the time i'd like it to sound a little bit more but it's just so like have a little bit of bongo (laughs) it's just a bit too good when you told me you had written insidious bongos (laughs) into your notes i was like i know exactly what she's talking about (laughs) is this song on my setup the bongos don't seem to stand out so they but they don't stand out to me either particularly but i can just hear them it's like put a bit of bongo in there love a bit of bongo i just have this image that i have of what i kind of consider to be really insipid bands and it's this sort of you know the percussionist and it's all very slick and there's the the backing vocalists and it's just really hard to explain how seeing people sweat on stage yeah. i like it to be really kind of messy and energetic yeah. and you know it's like but it's like when i went to see fleetwood mac a few years ago at the o2 and it was obviously amazing because it was fleetwood mac but mick fleetwood was up on stage playing the drums inverted commas but then he had another drummer hidden behind him <laughs> under the stage like playing drums and it's like just bring shit. him up Bring yeah. him up. Bring up the other drummer. 
it's better, you yeah. know. I know you're not 20 years old and absolutely coked out of your mind. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry about it. Neither am I. <laughs> Ring your mate up. You saw the Dan live. I did. I did. I was absolutely steaming, though, because I was so excited about it. <laughs> and it was very good. And when they played Peg, I was the only one that stood up and danced. Wow. It felt like I was the only one in the whole of the O2 standing up and dancing, which is a little bit embarrassing. But do you know what? I don't care. But that's what happens when you, you drink too much red wine. <laughs> it was very good. It was yeah. very good. But, you know. Two against nature. Two against nature. What is this song about? That's my question <laughs> to you. I don't know. I actually don't know. My favourite fan theory is that it's about pest controllers is it no way that is like that is it's that, like the dumbest the dumbest explanation yeah like i've seen that as well yeah it's not it's just like that's it's about two hitmen i don't know yeah because because two against nature so they're against like the natural life of people they're taking people out so they are against nature the lyrics on this one are really interesting yeah I find they're the amazing music, yeah they're really and they're really violent they're yeah like relentlessly violent yeah it's the carto violent lyrics yeah which are amazing yeah there's a couple of things in here that i don't like there's a homophobic slur in this one and then there's also a slightly transphobic slur as well i think which i'm uncomfortable with I'm quite aligned with the theory that this is their like battle cry against modern pop music. Wow. It's this idea that they're saying they're standing up to modern pop music. They're standing their ground. They're going to beat the shit out of everybody. They're the fucking best. Nobody knows better than they do. And when it talks about... So he's had sex with a woman, or who he thinks is a woman. Actually, it's not. It's a man dressed as a woman. This lends itself to the idea that actually over in the 80s and the 90s, that gender fluidity is much more mainstream, I suppose, especially in pop music. You've got people like Boy George. You've got people who are not necessarily conforming to gender norms now. I wonder whether that's a little kind of link back to that idea. That's what I think. I think it's about them saying fuck you to pop music. That is big. It's complicated. Yeah. It makes me feel like me thinking that a hitman is a hitman story is <laughs> fucking lame. It's a really difficult song to pick apart, but they're very... It's um, like one of their most like cryptic songs. I think so. Because I thought of it being like a hitman when they say stuff like... So there's a lot of Haitian themes in this song as well. There's like a Haitian Creole slur, the homophobic slur in there, which I'm not going to say, which just adds to the confusion. But then this is something that they've picked up previously. This is a kind of another theme going back to older albums, isn't it? Yeah, Haitian divorce. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did wonder when I was reading the lyrics, I was thinking, is this like a sequel to Haitian Divorce? This is like the fallout from the infidelity in Haitian Divorce. Because I feel like the very last verse is like talking about them like cleaning up. They're like cleaning up a crime scene. Yeah, but also it's getting rid of the trash, but getting rid of the trash pop music, getting rid of we're the best, we know what we're doing, scrape the warboards, the whole damn batch, catch the maggoty eggs before they hatch, get rid of these young things, they don't know what they're doing. It's a really confusing (laughs) song. I can see what you're saying, 100%. Two Against Nature, love this gig, pull up the weeds before they're too damn big. It's a song of defiance to me. That They're just like, we know exactly what we're doing. We're in our 50s. We've been around the block. We just... This is us. And then they called the album Two Against Nature yeah. as well. Yeah. They would have known, they would have been fully aware of the significance of them releasing an album 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah. And fully aware of the kind of music that they were up against when they released this album and fully aware of the changes and the developments in, in music and pop that had happened over two decades. Yeah. Yeah. And they are renowned for their incredibly cryptic lyrics. Of course, yeah. So I wouldn't put it past them to have done this deliberately and said, yeah, let's write a song, a really incredibly cryptic song, slating all of younger musicians. It's pretty brutal. Well, it's Steely Dan. (laughs) Yes. What are you going to do? I feel like this song needs its own episode. Um, next song, content warning on this one. Yeah. Trigger warning on this one for sexual assault as well on this one. Yeah, sexual assault, sexual abuse. Yeah. Sex work. So this is a song that harks back to a previous song. Really? Which one? Daddy don't live in that New York City no more. Oh, <gasps> John. It's a song about a pimp. Okay. I didn't get that, but I think you might be right. All the opening lines are... It must have been my lucky Thursday The dad went on that spree Before the crew put out the fires You hopped the bus for NYC Down in Tampa, the future looked desperate and dark so for me, that's like saying the dad knows the daughter is a sex worker. He's gone out and busted some skulls. And before the crew, the, you know, the mob could bring everything together. This girl decided that she was going to kind of hop away the same as her pimp has. And he's then just taking her around the country telling her that she's going to have a better life, but that better life is never coming. Oh, God. It says about a federal case. So I thought, well, they're going to Sugar Shack in Pennsylvania. Will that be a federal case? I was thinking, does that mean that wherever he is, her age, I was thinking about her age. It's her age, yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking, what's the age of consent in Pennsylvania? And it's 16, but it's 18 years for the corruption of minors. I was thinking, so she's either 17 or 15. Either way, it's gross. They have a white slave traffic act in the US. Oh, yes. Which is about transporting people across state lines for immoral purposes. So, like, he's kind of saying, like, am I committing an even bigger crime than I'm already committing? 
Um, but he kind of doesn't seem to care. He doesn't seem to care. It's like he is manipulating her. I find it really annoying that this song is catchy. Yeah. I sing this song quite a lot, which is quite bad. Who says today's a fun day? Why do I feel like sailing again? Honey, it's you, JD. The way he talks to her, like, who makes me feel like painting again? It's like, oh, you're my muse. It's that kind of manipulation. Yeah, yeah. but it's like classic bullshit that guys say to girls, women, to make them feel special. Oh, you're so amazing. You're really inspiring. You make me want to paint again. It's like, oh, shut up. It's like I'm writing all these (laughs) songs for you. Yeah, I'm so inspired. And I was just like, it's really gross. What I find sometimes a little bit uncomfortable about Steely Dan is how well they write about things like this. Yeah. It's like, how do you know? Like, How do you know that that's what men say to women? How do you know that that's what men do to women to undermine them and seduce them as well sometimes? Young women, vulnerable women, like, how do you know about these things? And that's what jars a little bit sometimes because I'm like... Have you done this to girls before? Are you? Do you know what you're doing? Or are you that worldly wise and that well experienced with female peers, not girlfriends, but, yeah. you know, equals? Well, I think by watching the behaviour of other men, it's quite easy to see that you can be a monster quite easily. Yeah, okay. okay. And so, like, recognising that monster in you, but having control over it rather than Mm. it have a control of you i think they're able to kind of just sink into that Mm. because they are men yeah yeah this is really gross this song i've written gross twice in capitals it is there's no moving around it no Um, and then he suggests that she has agrees to have a threesome with melanie Melanie, is it yeah melanie in exchange for a trip to spain for her birthday who has a friend well like melanie's like the other girl isn't she yeah she's like the other person in this pimp's business yeah she's not afraid to try new things no it's really grim it is grim it's a grim song but it's very catchy (sighs) typical dan eh almost gothic almost gothic now this one is a real (laughs) head scratcher go for it so is this about a guy who is going to see his dominatrix yes okay good i'm glad i'm not (laughs) (laughs) kind of weird isn't it because you kind of look at the lyrics and you kind of think them over and you pour over them and you kind of pick stuff out and you're just like is he are they talking about that yeah yeah and and we've done that right the way through the catalogue and i think like nine times out of ten we've both been like that's definitely what that's about yeah when you read the lyrics on the kind of the first pass you're like is he objectifying kind of fetishizing a black woman almost because that's how it kind of seems on the surface of it but knowing steely dan and knowing that they don't do that they don't objectify people of color in that way and i don't think no There's a yearning in this song and a submissiveness in this song, which ties in with the idea of him seeing this dominatrix and 
being completely, oh my God, this is great. Yeah. Kind of thing. It's just like totally getting off on the whole experience. Yeah. And how she's hot and cold and he's just can't, the anticipation of it. And it's, I mean, it's like crazy. It's a crazy song when you read the lyrics. Yeah. Isn't it? When this starts off, I really like this song. the first time I've ever heard them perform a, a song which genuinely has some kind of sense of desire yeah but complex as well because it's not yeah. just like I really love you it's like I want you to tie me up and make me pray and dominate me I'll just have to make it work somehow great it's a really interesting song yeah it is really interesting i like where he says um this dark place so thrilling and new it's kind of like the opposite of an aerial view yeah because he's just completely like in the moment yeah and he's like right there also probably because he's tied up (laughs) yeah (laughs) poor guy tied up on a sex swing or something on a sex swing, it's just been <laughs> left there, just floating about, poor guy. But, but like, again, this is another reason why I actually really do like this album, is that we're exploring something that you wouldn't normally explore in a pop record, would you? You wouldn't no. explore something as complex as a subdom relationship in casual rock album. Oh, you know, here we are. We're talking about, what, is it, what does he call it? The cleanest kitty in the city. Either way. That's, like, that's disgusting. <laughs> but it's not. But it's just like, I don't need to know that, Don. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> I do find this really similar to Deacon Blues. Really? Mm. In my notes, I wrote, this record is so fucking jazzy. Yeah, I did like, as well. By the time you get to this point of the album, you're just like, fucking hell, like, it's a pure jazz record. Yeah. It's not in the same way where Asia, which is, you know, people say, oh, it's this amazing, like, jazz fusion record because they've just melded so many styles. Like, this is just pure jazz. Like, yeah. the songs work as jazz tunes. There's, like, saxophone solos all mm. over this record. There's a trumpet solo. There's no guitar solo on this record. Like, the guitars there is kind of texture more than anything. Yeah, I suppose you're right. There's one song, I think, which uses guitar quite interestingly. It's the next one, Jack of Speed. Cool. Well, let's talk about Jack of Speed. This has got such a catchy melody, this one. my favorite on the record is it yeah oh it's lyrically just beautiful just the whole thing it just all completely ties together there's no ambiguity about what it's about no i like the clarity of this song yeah it's very gentle song about somebody who is just on a one-way journey yeah there's a 
real sense of nostalgia across this whole album, which we've mentioned before already in this episode. But this one, it's like drugs. And then there's a little bit of a kind of hint towards gambling as well, which yeah. takes us all the way back to Can't Buy a Thrill. Yeah. And it's quite a sad song, really. Cause the it guy's is a, sad, yeah. The guy's a fuck up, isn't he? Yeah. He's a one-way rider on the Shriek Express. Yeah. Maybe got lucky for a few That's amazing. Yeah. I just think like every single line in this song, it's just perfect. Mm -hmm. It's interesting as well, because this is talking about modern narcotics, isn't it? Because previously it was all for them. It was heroin and cocaine and weed, I guess. But then amphetamine has been around, you know, the beat poets were like doing speeds on the roads was written beginning to end, like doing loads of ephedrine and starting and finishing completely high in one go so it's like something they've chosen not to talk about for mm. whatever reason i yeah. don't know were you thinking that maybe um like mdma feel, yeah i think because rolling is like slang for taking mdma but then obviously jack of speed you and i probably know speed as which is very different to mdma isn't yeah. it Oh, yeah, yeah, massively. But what I find a little bit confusing because MDMA and speed aren't typically drugs that you'd associate with addiction, are they? Could be methamphetamine. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Is it something like meth Yeah, that he's talking about, which is probably more of a modern drug than yeah. heroin and coke and yeah. whatever. Either way, he's not going to sleep. He's going towards a bad place. He is going towards a bad place. And they tell the woman to get away from him. Yeah, they say get away, which yeah. is sweet. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. This is a great song. It's not my favourite. I think Gaslighting Abbey, unfortunately, is my favourite because it's really funky. But this has got such a catchy melody and that little hook as well. Yeah. And I love the roads in this one. Towards the end, there's two guitars almost like playing around each other and then around the roads as well, which now you've talked about this album being quite jazzy, I realised that they were having a good time playing on this album. Yeah. And then you've got Don's vocals as well, because he's, he does quite a bunch of incidental little vocal jabs towards the end as well, which is quite nice. Yeah. This is a good song. It's great. So moving on Ooh. to a song that I said in my notes, the lyrics make me want to puke. But yeah, they're gross, aren't they? It's so fucking catchy. It's really catchy. Once I'd heard this song for a couple of times... I just get it in my head like every single time. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't want this song <laughs> stuck in my head because it's fucking horrible. It's a horrible song. Content warning. Let's yeah. Content, content warning. warning. I don't know the best way to describe it. Into family. Because it's not quite incest, is it? No. But it's, but it's very but much. It's, it's a bit gross. It's skating around quite an uncomfortable subject. Mm -hmm. we're going to probably talk about some horrible things as we talk about this song. So 
please yeah. do skip forwards if you don't want to hear that. So, Cousin Dupree then. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's really gross. The guy, he's obviously lost his job and he's yeah. had to move home. And well, he's he gone was back in a band. His... Oh, is he in a band? Oh, no, yeah. he was in a band. Well, I've kicked around a lot since high school. I've walked a lot of nowhere gigs. From keyboard man in a rock and sky band. The hall and boss recruiting the big rigs. He was in a ska band. The worst kind of band. Yeah, no one wants a ska band. <laughs> I always find that really, I don't know why I find Scar, I have no particular aversion to Scar, it's okay, but I find any jokes about Scar hilarious <laughs> for some reason, I don't know why, because there was well, a period, wasn't there, like a really short space of time in the 90s when everything was Scar. Yeah, I'm Just a Girl by No Doubt. Yes. That like Superman song that was in Tony Hawk's. <laughs> I don't know who it's... about that. I just completely... But, like, you would just hear it so much, wouldn't you, when you're listening to it? Yeah, Scar was everywhere in the 90s. Like, I think, like, Night Bait to Cairo by Madness is an absolute banger. And I feel like Steely Dan didn't like Scar. I would probably say that's safe to say. this is them saying, check out this Yeah. (laughs) I do just need to say it. I know people that used to be in Scar bands. And I just want to say this is not leveled at them in any way. Just listen, in case. we didn't write the song. We John. didn't write the song. We just We do yeah. have an opinion <laughs> on Scar, you know. This is Don and Walt's opinion on Scar. Yeah. So basically if you're in a Scar band, like you're just a creepy dude that really wants to kiss his own cousin. Oh God. But it's not even that he wants to kiss his cousin. He's like fully Fully perving over his cousin. Yeah. yeah. Talking about watching her. What does he say that she's doing? On her, wax. She's wax her skis. Yeah, her legs. Like, ugh, what? He's gross. He's utterly gross. And then watching her, she goes out on a date, I think, during yeah. the song. And he that's when he decides he's going to make his move on her. Yeah. Who makes their move on their cousin? And be like, what's wrong with a bit of, you know, family... Well, family love, it's like, you're really, really gross. Mm. You're incredibly gross. But this is another loop back into uh, a previous Steely Dan song because he talks about how she's grown like a rose, which probably unintentionally, I think, hark back to Rose Darling Yeah. from Katie Lard, which is also a disgusting song about cheating on your girlfriend or wife having anal sex with someone else it's like they have form yeah how they're like able to reflect on their back catalog and almost like refine it or or just yeah. tell maybe a a more detailed story mm. in this that vein I've- yeah, this is what I've really found with this album is their kind of retrospective exploration of, of their previous stories. You're completely right. I just love how so aware of everything they've done they are and how cognizant they are of the stories they've put out there and the kind of the knowing. It's this idea that they actually really care about us, the listener, and what we have heard and the journey that we've been on with them. 
and coming back as well after 20 years, such a long time, yeah. and going, hey, you know, we know you love us. We know you love these songs. And we know that you're interested in these stories. So here's another dimension to those yeah. stories that we've already told you. Yeah. And that's why having just listened to it superficially, this album, and then actually listened to it, gone, oh, fucking hell, guys. It's a damn you Dan moment. Yeah, it is a damn you Dan moment. But this song is fucking gross. It is fucking gross. However, it's funny as well. And I hate saying it because it is funny. Because Janine, Janine is the cousin, her put down, which she describes the dreary architecture of your soul. And then he turns around and says, what is it exactly turns you off? Yeah. She basically slates him and he's like, Yeah, because she wrong? said it. She said it maybe. If a girl said one of those things yeah, to me, I'd be like, I'd just be okay, like eternally bye. crushed. I'd just be like, well, that's like, that's my fucking sex life done now. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. And he's like, well, what's wrong with that? Yeah. yeah. He's like, well, how, yeah. Why are any of those things a turn off? Yeah, I don't think he's probably listening to her. No. There's that line, she turned my life into a living hell in those yeah. little tops and tight capris. It's like, ugh, male entitlement. Yeah. They know that that's yeah. male entitlement. Yeah. It's your fault for being attractive. It's like, I'm the victim. Here. Yeah. They've gone from being really dismissive about women to being actually quite understanding about really dark things that men can do to women and how men regard women. Well... You know, they've worked with women because we see from they, yeah, like Royal Scam onwards, we have female voices on the mm -hmm. records. Yeah. They would have been in relationships with women. But like I said earlier, it's it's just a reflection of the monster. Mm. Oh God. I fucking love Steely Dan, John. Yeah, they're fucking good, aren't they? <laughs> and in saying that, we roll into a song called Negative Girl. Negative Girl. Oh, this is again where we're kind of talking about a distillation. It's just, it's such a put down song. Mm. It's like Gentleman Loser mm -hmm. projecting himself onto a woman, like, but knowing how she is living her life means that he is never going to, to truly like have her. Mm -hmm. He's just like, well, you know, they just come and go. Yeah, you've absolutely, you've hit it on the head. She is a drug addict, though. Yeah. Not that that makes any difference. He senses this idea of ownership towards a girl who's let him down again, but it's actually, it's not her, it's him. <laughs> My dude. Yeah. It's so interesting how they've moved to this new attitude towards women. I think it's quite significant because previously they were just constantly complaining about girls in a reasonably two-dimensional way. Yeah. But there's so much more nuance now about how they're talking about women, how they're talking about relationships. Yeah. Almost like there's more of a self-awareness in a way. Yeah, like the guy knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. He's just another character in her self-destruction. Yeah. But he is attracted to that. But it is projection. Totally projection. It's kind of like it's an unreliable narrator because he's painting the picture of this girl, you know, going from situation to situation. But we don't actually know the intricacies. 
no, and he's, of that situation. The lyrics are really self-pitying. Moving away from the lyrics just momentarily, because we should mention that Dean Parks is back. Hey! Hey, Dean Parks. Apart from the next song, West of Hollywood, this is probably the jazziest one to me. I would also say it's the most composed track of the album. Yes. I yes, actually feel agreed. like they wrote parts for everybody because mm-hmm. there's some kind of like repeating riffs on different instruments and it's got a really amazing like mm-hmm. simmering outro that just reminded me of a really nice meal just about ready to be served oh that's a really nice description john <laughs> i know exactly what you mean yeah there's so much about the production that i find too good <laughs> <laughs> and i feel like this one is the one that i've kind of missed gary katz's presence the most i think this is where i felt it so kind of keenly missed yeah but that's not to say this is bad necessarily but it's like that's um, that's the sound they wanted, you know. I do need to say, like Roger Nichols is like the executive engineer on this record. That makes it seem like linear to me, mm-hmm. because he was involved in all of the records, all the Stephen yeah. records, and the Nightfly. Yeah. Should we move on to the final song? The end of the record. The end of the record. This has been an interesting one for us, I think. Yeah, it has. I got a flavour that you really didn't like this record. I didn't up until literally six hours ago. And then all (laughs) of a sudden, it's like the coin fell in the slot. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I get it now. This is kind of grand tradition, big concept, final song on the album. Yeah, that's what I really liked about it, actually. I was like, fuck, eight minutes long. And it's got one of my favourite ever Steely Dan lyrics in it. Just a thrill away from punching through to the cosmic wow. <laughs> I was Kid Clean. She was Anne Just a thrill away from punching through to the cosmic wow. Oh, that is amazing. It's a really, really Steely Dan lyric as well. Yeah. What is this song about? Because I wonder whether he is then referring back to the woman in What Shame About Me. No, I don't think so. It doesn't feel like that for me. I don't, sorry, I don't mean to be dismissive. Well, you've dismissed my theory. (laughs) I work really hard on it. But it's like we almost got there, like this kind of like lost love thing that he had. I think. It's about the cold, hard reality of the meaninglessness of life. Oh, God. A nice light topic. (laughs) (laughs) I told you, I did say it was like big concept. Yeah. Okay. But it's like he's constantly kind of questing for something, but he Mm -hmm. keeps coming up against these walls. The access of pain, pleasure, sheared the arc of desire. Oh, I love that line. We burned right through the summer. 
love about this one i think chris potter's sax solo on this is unbelievable yeah it's really really good like when you hear someone play sax like that and they're not just a household name like kenny g is <laughs> do you know what i mean though when you hear a sax solo like that you know why is this dude not like the most famous saxophone player ever it's absolutely amazing and what i think is interesting as well is that this song is really long yeah but i'd say about a third of it is the sax solo yeah isn't it yeah when you think of like you know a similar size song like asia wayne shorter's saxophone solo is so fleeting Mm. in that song it just comes in and goes yeah just part of the song it's like oh now we're at this bit Mm. But, but that's much more of an all kind of an orchestral yes. arrangement there isn't yeah. it that yeah. that's the, it's almost like it has movements asia yeah. isn't it yeah but well, that was like the point that i was going to make mm. is that this is more attuned to being a jazz record yeah then we get those elements <laughs> And this song in particular, the last half specifically, I find, is out of the whole album. I think from Chris Potter's sax solo onwards is my favourite bit of the whole album because there's almost like a freedom and a vulnerability, I suppose, where you can almost hear like they've just kind of gone, just let the guy play and let's just play around him and just let's just let let's him just be, be in now. free and... Yeah, and it's lovely. It's really lovely. When you've gone from having this sort of really rigid kind of clinical production and you've gone from Gaucho and Asia, which is so measured and so precise, and then you've got the end of this album, you could probably say it peters out, but it doesn't. It's sort of, it's almost like an exhale, isn't it? Yeah, and I feel that that solo is kind of the counterpoint to the topic of this song mm-hmm. they are just like let's just be in the now and enjoy what is happening don't worry that you're almost touching something that you're almost there but really it's just a little nothing oh john <laughs> just this conversation with you john has yeah. made me really appreciate this album and i've seen some like some of the reviews i've been reading up on the reviews over the last like few weeks reading up on like Rolling Stone reviews and um, the Pitchfork review of this album as well. And they absolutely rip it to pieces. Because they they wanted a continuation of what they had achieved before. But it is. Yeah. But in a much more nuanced and abstract way. Yes. Which is even better yeah. in a way. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. I think in a lot of music criticism, there is always a demand from the listener. They mm. want this band to make this album. Mm. And if they don't, mm. then it's completely dismissed. Yeah. And you can see that happen 
across reviews for so oh. many for so many records. Yeah, so I remember when the band Manson middling success in the nineties. They brought out the album Attack of the Grey Lantern, yeah. and they had like a bunch of hits. And I loved them. I was obsessed with them. I was a, like a super fan. And then they released Six, which was at the time, because they were kind of pinned, labelled with Britpop, which is actually a concept album. So they've gone from being, their first album was quite a concept album as well, with like weird stories and weird characters. And then they came up with Six, which was very unusual and not what everyone was expecting. And it got completely slated I by remember. everybody. Like Enemy hated it. Yeah, I like, all, like, I think Q hated it as well. Like all of the big publications absolutely hated it. But, and I know I was a fan at the time and I'm probably biased, but Six is incredible. It's an incredible album. The themes they pick up, the production of it, the whole thing is really, really incredible for a second album. So ambitious. But because it wasn't what everyone was expecting and what everybody wanted, they were like, oh, they just dismissed it as pretentious crap. Yeah. And I suppose it is in a way, but actually it's not. It's really, really good and really, really clever. And yeah, you're right. I think what people expect and what you end up getting sometimes, you just get completely dismissed and ignored. And It comes down to privilege. I don't think anybody, apart from the people making the music, has a right to say oh, it's not like this, mm. therefore it's a piece of shit. Mm. So, you know, obviously from a technical point of view of this record, the industry saw it fit to award them and maybe award them based on their previous output as well. Yeah, that happens often though. Oh yeah. Sometimes like, you get like the consolation award for your previous work. Yeah, it's like Martin Scorsese. Like he's a really like big example mm. where he just never got any recognition from the American industry. Mm. And I think it was like Departed. He got Departed, yeah. 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 And then I know everyone like, hates The Departed. I've seen it once. And it blew me away. That it's film. good, but and everyone hates it because it is cause a rat at the end. Because <laughs> it is a remake, and yes, like, it is. the original film is better. But it's Martin Scorsese. It's going to be good. What's the same as good? this? It's Steely Dan. It's going to be Steely Dan. It's, it's going to be great. It's going to have a level of quality. You kind of know what you're going to get, mm. and as we've discussed talking through this record it touches on all the same points that every other record by Steely Dan has touched on. Mm -hmm. It's all there. All the ingredients are there. It's just not, it's not a product of younger men reaching beyond their capabilities and using session musicians to create this big, huge statement that they did with Asia, that they did with Gaucho. But that's not a bad thing. No, it's not. And it is an album very much on their terms, isn't it? Yeah. And that's actually something I wrote right at the start of my notes, that this is very much on their terms, very much what they want. But then they haven't been produced by Gary Katz because they produce it themselves. And I do wonder whether that's a factor. So. Here we are. We, we are we're at the end of the penultimate Seely Dan album. But next we are discussing the final Steely Dan album. Yes, everything must go. Yeah, from 2003. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening. We've, we've been um, 
we've rambled on quite a lot in this episode, I think, but we had a lot to say. Yeah. 20 years of chat to catch up on. (laughs) (laughs) What did you expect? (laughs) So thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next time. See you next episode. Bye. Bye. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.